give me some ideas, some jumping off points that I can take and run with as far as legislation. Because we get inundated with problems and challenges and things that aren't going right, but not a whole lot of thought goes into, and so what would solve this? What would make this better? Hey everybody, welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me as usual is my husband, Mark. The keeper of the pen. The keeper of the pen. Don't tell people about my pen taking. This is the precious. (laughs) She takes the pen. He gets nice pens, and I usually just have all... It's not that I don't have any nice pens, it's just that our children... Take my pens and think that they're their pens, and then I can't find my pens. Your children take your pens, and my beautiful wife takes my <laughs> pens. That's why I buy the precious pens. It's an the endless cycle and circle. Smile. Okay. <sighs> so today, I am excited to bring you guys a very informative conversation that we had with Representative Christy Stutzman. Mm-hmm. She has such a wealth of information for approaching representatives and getting involved with your local legislators and just being involved in your community. Because so many people tend to focus on national news and Mm -hmm. national um, issues when really the biggest impact comes right in our local communities. So this was taken from, um, Christy is actually in the film, The Mind Polluters, and this is... Which, wait, you got to tell people what Mind Polluters is. Oh, Well, The Mind Polluters is the new investigative documentary film that we're working on right Mm -hmm. now that explores why, what and why is comprehensive sex education, social emotional learning, what are these things and why are they in our schools? Why are they being taught to our children? And Because when when you guys hear what this is, this is happening on a large scale Mm -hmm. on the east and west coast right now and it is really i don't want to say that it's coming here because it's already here it's already here this um, is... but it's but it's so on steroids out west and uh, on the east coast mm-hmm. it's it's destroying families and children and commu- whole communities yeah it's it's communist indoctrination on an industrial scale and its mechanism its vehicle is the public schools and they're not stopping with the public schools no. they're, they're trying to force this into all schools the community remember into the they community. want the whole child the whole and, child and the whole child takes this home to the parents and then the parents take it into the community and they're mm-hmm. working with community oh it's sick you guys it's, it is really it's so wicked really perverse so, but, but here, but before we move on from that, because the new push now for this social emotional learning sounds really great because everybody's saying, you know, these poor kids online, they can't handle, you know, the whole lockdowns, which I don't think we are actually going to see the devastating effects that shutting down the schools has had for a few years yet. Yeah, there's always a delay with things like that. I think there's a lot of the immediate effects that are just being suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, they're going to obfuscate all of the all of the linkages, you know, links between what what has happened, what's happening right now, and the effects that it's happen that it's having. It won't come out for a while, but yeah. So our our conversation today conversation with Christy, with Christy and I want to give a big shout out to the Barnes at Napanee mm-hmm. for uh, allowing us to come up there and film. 
and such a beautiful location. It's, I don't know how, how old those barns are. It used to be called Amish Acres. It's over a hundred years old and it's all been renovated. And so they, they have uh, a restaurant in one of the buildings and the gift shop in the other Mm -hmm. and, and shopping and, I saw after we were there, they have a coffee shop in one of them. I thought, why didn't I go see the coffee shop? <laughs> um, and uh, where we were filming was kind of a reception hall, you know, That's rehearsal beautiful. space. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And and if you love trains, you would love Napanee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that they can do about it, but about every about every 20 minutes or so, it seems like you have to stop because the trains go through... And you just was, can't get away from the trains. <laughs> it was a fun break. <laughs> no, but but like we said last on last week's podcast, just loving history, loving mm-hmm. exploring all things, you know, in our in our history. And the barns at Napanee is a beautiful piece oh, it's, it's beautiful. of history. And the theater and the Round Barn Theater. Oh, that's right, the Round Barn Theater. So they have a they have this beautiful theater. That what was it was a it was a threshing barn is that what it <laughs> I was? Think that's it's what she it's said. An, actually it's a round barn. It's like half a silo, right? It's it's this huge round barn, mm-hmm. and uh, it is so cool. We to got go to in step there. in and watch part of a musical play. That yeah, they, they were doing going. a Christmas Carol. Yeah, uh, it was really really cool. So if you are in northern Indiana, northeast Indiana, and you're looking for uh, somewhere to go and visit. They've got a, a great restaurant. They've got great theater. Mm-hmm. And Napanee is just a beautiful town. It is. I love Napanee. I mean, I, I you know, I got to make fun of them with the trains, but I love trains too. Yeah. It's just Napanee, you have trains. Downtown Fort Wayne, we have church bells and Harley Davidsons. So, <laughs> you know, anytime you try and film anywhere, there's unique sound signatures. So thank you again to Marlon and Christy for letting us start filming for the mind polluters at the barns at Napanee. Yep. You guys. So listen in to our conversation when we just asked Christy, we started off by asking her how she got involved. I'm Christy Stutzman, uh, state representative district 49 in Indiana. How long have you been in that position? Um, just two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just two years. So it wasn't long and it wasn't part of my plan to step down that soon. I had a lot of things that I was working on, but um, Lord had other plans. And so we're going to go with it and, and see what he has next. How did you get into um, just being in the legislative process and becoming a representative? Yeah, I, I did not go to school to to for political science or anything related to it. I was a voice major um, in fine arts most of my life. I loved it, um, but I was very passionate about patriotism, about loving our country, about you know standing up for biblical values and Christian values. And um, so when my husband, um, who was a business owner, decided to uh, get more involved, it was right after 9-11. And we felt like we had not been as involved as we should have been um, politically, knowing who our leaders were, if our if our community was in good hands. Um, so we started just attending meetings, you know, whether it was a local commissioner meeting or um, our local, you know, um, party meeting, things like that in the, in the county, in the community. And uh, one thing led to another and he was approached about running for state representative. And at that time we were, I think we had been married for two years and we had um, a nine-month-old when he was approached about running. And I did not know 
what the process was like. I had had friends that had been involved, but I had never personally been involved. And so um, we went to a couple training sessions, you know, of how to campaign and raise money. And what I found was that my experience in uh, raising money uh, for other fundraisers, for nonprofits, for things like that, was really going to come into play in how you do it in campaigns. And it really was retail politics where you're knocking on doors and talking to your friends and neighbors and sharing your views on things. And we found it was very encouraging. Um, if you watch the news a lot, you can get really discouraged and it can sound like the world is coming to an end and you can feel like you're all alone. But when you get out and start talking to people and friends and neighbors in your community, you find that you're not alone mm -hmm. and that there's good people out there and there's hardworking, salt of the earth, wonderful people um, who are just trying to make a difference for their family, their business, their community. So we just really were excited to get involved. And when we went down to the state house, um, I just tr tried to learn as much as I could about the process, about the legislative process. And at first I thought, this is very tedious. This is very slow. You know, why, there's, there's a good cause we're fighting for. Why does it take so long to get it passed? And one thing I learned in that process was that it was slow for a reason. There was a lot of hands on it. There's a lot of minds on it. And it needed to go through this filtration because if it was easy to pass laws, we would be strapped with so many laws we couldn't see straight. So you want it to be a very thorough vetting process and filtering process before you put something in place that's going to affect people's lives. Um, so I learned a lot about the committees and the first and second readings and the final passage and all that stuff and how the bills, you know, know, change houses and um, just the different lobbying groups that were involved and how that affected legislators. Um, so I was learning a lot so that I could uh, speak knowledgeably. Um, and because I was asked to speak in different places as a spouse about what it was like. And um, I was also approached by women who wanted to get more involved in the process. Um, what does it take? How do I get involved? And um, so I started speaking on different subjects like that and found there was a need for it. There was definitely a need for it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we got involved. And then um, of course my husband served in Congress and it was six years, he was there, learned a lot there as well. And then eventually um, when he was not serving anymore, um, I was approached about running for a state rep position and I had never thought of it. I'd never really wanted to run for office. Um, so I struggled with it for several months, whether I should run or not. Um, and it all came down to the fact that I did know a lot of people in the process. I understood the process. And when you get there and you have a working knowledge of how things go and you have relationships with people who serve there, um, it really does um, allow you to be effective almost immediately because if there's an insurance issue or there's a, you know, builder's uh, um, issue where the builders are coming to you and saying, we need this passed, if you don't know about that issue, but you know who does and you know someone you trust, you're able to pick up the phone within the context of the process mm -hmm. and say, hey, I need your help on this issue. What do you think? Um, and you've established relationships with people who can help you along the way because you, you don't know everything about mm -hmm. everything. Um, but if you know people who do who you trust and you've watched them work through the years, 
that can help you in passing legislation because it really is a networking game. You have to network and you have to build a coalition to support something. Um, so when I looked at that, I realized, you know, I could be effective and um, I could make a difference. And I was always raised that if you feel like there's an opportunity, God opens a door and you and you believe that you could make a difference, you should at least try. And so I did. Um, I tried and um, ended up winning and really enjoyed serving. It was it was a great honor, great mm -hmm. honor to serve. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most effective things I've seen is when someone starts getting involved on the local level. So um, commissioners meetings, school board meetings, and, and I'm not talking about running, I'm talking about just attending, mm -hmm. just attending the meetings and watching and see, seeing who is involved and how it works, um, how decisions are made, you know, how money is spent, because that is the grassroots, actually I call it the front lines. That's the front lines. When you get money from the state or the federal government, those decisions being made by commissioners, by school boards, by health departments, they're spending a big amount of money and they're deciding where those dollars go. And you can see how that process goes. Where, what, what questions are being asked? You know, who's asking them? Mm -hmm. Are they hearing from the public or not? And a lot of times in those meetings, they're not used to hearing from the public. Um, so if you're, you're there, you're one of very few people and they're kind of like, well, what's up? Is something wrong? You know, and you might just be observing, you know, um, but it also allows you to be visible to those who are in an elected office. And so that when they see you another time, they recognize you and you can have a conversation with them about an issue that you're concerned about. So that opens up doors. I would say go to your local political meetings as well. There's county um, GOP places. There's county uh, Democrat places, in independents, libertarians. They all have their county meetings. So go to those meetings and uh, just be there. Just be there. I mean, that's what we did. And it's a very easy thing to do. You just have to figure out when they meet. And usually there's a local chairman, you know, or the, the head of the board. Um, and you can look that up online and find out when the board meetings are, when these uh, committee meetings are and go to those. I would say start there. And then um, the other way to get involved is to find a candidate that you believe in and find out with that candidate what you can do. And I mean, as as a wife and mother and uh, someone who was not used to being involved, one of the things that I found was pretty practical for me to do was to provide handouts for parades or fairs or festivals that the candidate could hand out. I mean, a little little patriotic thing or take their logo and put it on something that they can hand out. Um, or I can just give them money to buy handouts. Um, those go a long way for candidates and, and it costs money to run a campaign. So anything you can contribute, whether monetarily or in-kind donations. Um, you can also host events at your own house. Uh, a lot of people think that's intimidating and it really isn't. It's like having a dinner party with hors d'oeuvres. You know, you just have these finger foods and uh, invite your friends and family. Hey, come meet this person I'm interested in, in supporting. And here's why I'm supporting them. And you should come listen to them talk directly. Um, that's just it. I mean, and it's a fun night. You can do whatever you know, order of program you want, or it can be very casual where they just go around and talk to folks. They don't have to give a formal uh, speech, but it really is face-to-face -face contact with someone you're considering to be a leader in your community. And that's one way you can learn um, about the candidates. And it's also one way uh, you can get involved uh, in their campaign and also being a supporter, you know, of that person. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's different ways that you can get involved. It just takes a little extra work and research. When people have an issue 
that they want to bring to a candidate? What's the best way for people to do that? If they want to bring an issue to a candidate directly, um, sometimes email can be a little frustrating because candidates aren't as access accessible uh, with email. Um, I would say contact, try to find their campaign manager. Um, usually the campaign manager um, is in charge of making sure that everyone is responded to. So I would look on their website or uh, their social media or something, or even list, they have to list the people that are in charge of their campaign, their treasurer. Um, I would contact someone in the campaign and say, hey, you know, I'd really like to get a hold of them and this is why. Um, and then the, if they're in elected office, um, definitely try to contact them in multiple ways, email, phone, uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I have all of the above contacting me and I try to answer each one as soon as I can. Um, and a lot of folks um, are afraid to contact someone who's in elected office because they think they're too busy. But really, if you are a constituent, you are priority mm-hmm. or should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's been my practice is everyone who um, is involved in uh, elected office and in some way um, really prioritizes constituents over any other group, whether it's a special interest group or a lobbying group or something like that. If it's a constituent, um, they usually get top priority. And there was there was another thing that you had mentioned. It, um, just talk to people about when you do have an issue and you finally do get to talk to that person, not to just bring the problem, but solutions. Can you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For instance, um, there was an education issue this year and there were a lot of teachers, um, coming to my office at the state house. And, um, when they contacted me to meet with me, of course, I'm going to meet with them. But one of the things I shared with them is look, each time I meet with a group who have been given, whether it's talking points or these are our goals or something, which is great. I, I love getting that. But if, if these are your goals and your talking points, then give me some ideas, some jumping off points that I can take and run with as far as legislation. Because we get inundated with problems and challenges and things that aren't going right. Um, but not a whole lot of thought goes into, and so what would solve this? What would make this better? What would help you with this problem? What would do this, do away with this problem? Um, and so I told them, I said, if you could bring me some ideas of where to start, because um, there are several issues going on, I need a starting point. And they did. They brought me a starting point. And I, I so appreciated that. It was innovative. It was kind of out of the box. And it was something that I hadn't thought of before. It was an approach that ended up working because they gave me a starting point. And I took it from there and, and grew it as much as I could and did as much as I could with it. And um, so it was, a, it was a really good meeting. And I've had several meetings like that with people who I'll just act, ask them point blank. Um, so what, what can I do to help solve this? Where do we start with solving it? And I might not be able to fix it this year, but we can start with something and lay the groundwork to eventually do away with this problem. You know, we can get rid of this regulation and this regulation this year, and that'll allow us to get rid of this whole requirement, you know, by the second year. Um, so it gives you a plan. And I think that's that's one thing that I've, I've learned is, is effective over the years. Yeah. How long does it usually take for things to get through, you know, to, for it to actually work and you see a, a resolve to an issue? How long mm-hmm. is there? Is there an average length of 
sort of how long those take. All right. So on policy issues, it can take anywhere from a year, you know, where you just get it through the legislative process quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, that went great, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to a long time, you know, eight to 10 years where you're building a case for something. Um, I I had an issue that I thought um, would go pretty quickly. I thought I had a great support for it in the Senate and a little harder in the House. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll start this year and I'll finish. What I found out was it had been tried many times before, before I got there. And for various reasons, it hadn't been passed. And But because it had been tried so many times, there was a lot of knowledge about the issue. And so I was building on the foundation that someone else had laid mm-hmm. and bringing more to the table and saying, but here's more current data and here's more current information. And this is how it will affect us positively as a state. Um, and so... I ended up getting it past the Senate with flying colors, but it still did not pass the House. And so that was one of the things that really um, was a learning curve for me was like, wow, okay, it, to me, this was just a year's worth of work, but I found out that so-and-so for the last eight years had been trying to pass it. And because he, wouldn't, he couldn't even get past the, the Senate at that point, this was a win on this policy issue. We actually got it past the Senate. And so now the groundwork has been laid to hopefully get it past the House and Senate next time. Um, So it it takes a while with some issues, um, but it usually has to do with policy, not as much budgetary. Um, Budgetary is talked about way ahead of time and those are kind of set in stone. And with that, you almost have to prep for the next budget year in this Mm -hmm. budget year and say, okay, next time we're going to be able to allocate this or next time we will not send this money this place because it wasn't effective. But you have to wait, you know, until it's time. So, and that's just a prime example of why voting matters. Yes. Like, I don't don't even know how we could address that and say that any, how, how, how how do you tell people that their vote, I mean, especially going through what we are right now, it's kind of, I know. It's it's really scary right now. Um, you kind of wonder about um, whether your vote counts. Yeah. Um, I think the time that it really hit home with me was when Marlon first ran. Um, he was up against a 10-year incumbent. He was not supposed to win. Um, but we had worked very hard. And it came down to the little ca- uh, courthouse in LaGrange County, Indiana, and they brought in the ballots in duffel bags back then, and they counted them, and then they would come out and read out the tally, and then everybody would write it down on their clipboards and things like that. Marlin won by 249 votes that time, and it was a huge switch you know, in the seat. And it was a big win down at the state house because we almost got the majority that year. And it was one more towards the next year when we did get the majority. So it was a big win, um, but it was only by 249 votes. So every vote counted um, in that election and every vote counts in every election. It's just a matter of uh, uh, making sure that our election process is, is honest and transparent. So that, that is definitely a challenge right now that we need to be aware of. If you remember back to the 2000 elections, um, and this is before we were involved, we watched um, the, the people counting the hanging chads in Florida. And one of the things that came to my mind at that point was, I wonder who that person is who's holding up that ballot and counting and seeing all those people in that room counting ballots. And I thought, you know, they never thought that they would be center stage on an national election, making the determination. And back then it was all eyes were on Florida um, and making sure that 
there was voter integrity and there was election integrity, but it was the people who had volunteered to do that job. And I thought, well, that, that might be easy to do. You know, I'd like to be in that room counting those votes and making sure everything was done right. So there's a lot of people who volunteer to do things like that. And I think it's really important that we have good people volunteering to do that. Um, it's, it's one of those things where everybody assumes that it's being done, but it's actually being done by people. It's, it, you know, and people overseeing whether it's machines or ballots or whatever they are, there still has to be human eyes and hands on those counts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was the problem um, with this election was that there were a lot of watchers that had volunteered who were not allowed in those rooms. And therefore, there was a lot of doubt about the transparency and the, the validity, validity of um, the election. Mm -hmm. That is all the time we have for today, friends. Thank you so much for listening in to this informative conversation. Just be encouraged. There's so much that we can do in our own communities to affect change. So be sure to join us on Thursday where we pick up part two of this candid conversation with Christy Stutzman. And just remember, this show is listener supported. So if you'd like to help us reach more people and bring you more information more often, we would love to add more programming. But of course, we can't do that without your help. So please be sure to visit our website at fearlessfeatures.org where you can learn more about our ministry, the current documentary we're working on, which is The Mind Polluters, where we started with Christy, and watch our latest film, Inwood Drive. You don't want to miss any of that. The web address, again, is fearlessfeatures.org. We look forward to joining you again on Thursday. Thursday.